0: Good afternoon, everyone, and I hope you enjoyed uh, the meal prepared by the wonderful staff here. And now I'd like to please ask you to join me in welcoming our television and webcast viewers. Again, my name is Danny Asaf, the president of the Canadian Club of Toronto, and have have the honour of being your host uh, today. The Canadian Club is proud of its rich tradition in providing a forum for leaders in all spheres of society to share their ideas. Led by a volunteer board of directors, we are dedicated to providing an open and welcoming platform for insightful and diverse perspectives on the issues of the day that impact our lives. And again, today, is an exceptional example of that, and that of the work of the Toronto Foundation, and that of the impact of the Vital Signs report, and its focus immediately on improving the well-being of our lives as Torontonians, and in fact has been an example throughout Canada and the world. Through our programs and activities, including our youth and young leaders' programs, diversity partnerships, media and social media opportunities, we offer you access to dynamic political, business and public figures from around the world. And before I formally introduce our speaker, I'd like to take a moment, if you'll permit me, to tell you about some of our upcoming uh, great events. First, on October 13th, with less than a week away from the federal election at that time, we hope you will want to join us with the Monk Debates, Rudyard Griffiths, as he sits down with the insiders, Kathleen Monk, David Hurley, and Jamie Watt, for their election predictions and their last minute real time insights before we cast our ballots. And on October 27th, with David Agnew, the Chair of Colleges Ontario and the President of Seneca College, Who will discuss the future of post-secondary education and the role of colleges in the modern economy and their pivotal importance to the future of Canada's long-term success. And on November 13th, we're also thrilled to welcome Twitter's Kirsten Stewart to our stage to talk about her new book, Our Turn, in a candid conversation with Catalyst Canada's Alex Johnson. You can order tickets and review the club's full list of upcoming events at canadianclub.org. You can can also join the conversation via Twitter, and please follow us at CDNCLUBTO or simply using that hashtag. I would also like to take a moment to express our special and sincere thanks to today's sponsor, BMO Private Banking, represented by... Marvie Ricker, and Janet Pettigrew. Thank you very much for your support. (laughs) Greatly appreciated from all of us. Now on to the main event. Today's luncheon represents the fourth time that the President and CEO of the Toronto Foundation has visited our podium to share the the results of the annual Vital Signs Report. According to Toronto Life, the Vital Signs Report is the most talked about in-depth analysis of the state of the city, which has been replicated across Canada. I've seen figures that it's accessed over a million times, including by the next generation, by youth in our colleges and universities, to empower them to get involved and have an impact on their community. And this, the release of this report, which people thought this week would be noted by the importance of the Blue Jays playoff run, I think is rivaled as well by the impact that this report has on our city from year to year and the ways that it can empower all of us and our different organizations to make real change in our day-to-day lives. It is a powerful springboard for dialogue and interchange between individuals, community organizations, and cross-sector leaders to tackle the complexity of improving our quality of life in today's world in the most innovative ways. The theme of this year's report is In It Together. After a busy summer that provided a a, a tremendous opportunity to showcase our city, it has been a vital time for Rahul Bardwaj. The president and CEO of the Toronto Foundation is the report's chief architect. He expressed optimism about the report's data in a September blog and was quick to acknowledge the city's challenges. Since 1981, this independent charitable foundation has been connecting philanthropy to community needs and opportunities. The Foundation currently, have fi- currently has 500 active funds, including endowments and assets under administration in excess of $400 million. Many Torontonians support the vital Toronto Fund, the community endowment that helps connect people and resources to address local challenges. Mr Bardwaj is an expert connector of people and resources. He has been named one of the city's most influential people by the very Toronto Life magazine that I quoted earlier. He was also named to the ultimate list of social CEOs on Twitter. He devotes much of his time to making our city better. Some of his community work includes serving as a board member of the transit organization Metrolinx. He's also a director of the Rideau Hall Foundation, which supports the office of the Governor General of Canada. He is also the past chair of the Community Foundations of Canada. Mr. Bardwaj, we are excited to hear the details of the 2015 Vital Signs Report, and without further ado, it's a pleasure to say that our podium is yours. (laughs)
1: Well, it used to be said that a Torontonian was someone wearing English tweeds, a Hong Kong shirt, and Spanish shoes, who sipped Brazilian coffee sweetened with Philippine sugar from a Bavarian cup while nibbling Swiss cheese, sitting at a Danish desk over a Persian rug, after coming home in a German car from an Italian movie. (laughs) And then writes their Member of Parliament with a Japanese ballpoint pen on French paper, demanding that they do something about foreigners taking away our Canadian jobs. (laughs) No more. Now Toronto is the Petri dish for globalization. We are all of those nationalities. And that transformational diversity is something no other city on earth can claim. It's also the backdrop to the truly unique opportunities we can exploit because more and more, the world needs Toronto to succeed. But it also speaks to the increasingly worrisome challenges we must solve. Both the good news and the bad are spelled out in this year's Toronto's Vital Signs Report the annual report card on the state of our city that helps us map Toronto's strengths and its weaknesses. So thank you, Danny, for thy generous introduction. And thank you to the Canadian Club for inviting me for the fourth year to discuss how Toronto's vital signs can help make Toronto a model for cities the world over. Now, the Toronto Foundation has been issuing vital signs for 14 years. We've been in Toronto, as you've heard, since 1981. And we are part of a public philanthropic movement of over 191 community foundations across Canada, over 1,800 worldwide, that made grants in excess of $5 billion last year. And this year, Your Toronto Foundation reached two financial milestones. Our assets under administration have passed $400 million for the first time in our 34-year history. And we've made grants and contributions of over $15 million to charities across Toronto and Canada. But we couldn't do our job without vital signs to guide our model of philanthropy. Now, I've just returned from Belfast, where I shared the Toronto model of philanthropy with the 58 community foundations in the United Kingdom. If ever there was a divided city, it was Belfast. It was two cities, Two places, it did not know peace, but it has come back. Toronto is one place. It is one piece, and there's a comforting sense that we're all in it together. At least there was. Toronto's vital signs report tells us that the sense of unity and singularity is getting well. You tell me once you hear the facts about our city today. Let's start with the good news. We live in one of the most splendid cities on earth. Everyone from The Economist magazine to Price Waterhouse ranks us as incredibly livable, creative, and safe. Employment is up, way up. 20,000 new jobs created over last year. New business startups are up as well. Repeat entrepreneurs are on the rise. Bankruptcies are down, as is violent crime, for the ninth year in a row. Cycling volumes have tripled in just one year after installation of designated bike lanes on downtown streets. We have the most high and mid-rise buildings under construction of any city in North America. Toronto is also the most environmentally sustainable city on the continent. Our parks keep us 4 degrees cooler in the summer and remove airborne particulate equal to the output of 1 million cars. Last year, On location filming in Toronto exceeded $1 billion for the fourth year in a row. The 2014 World Pride Festival directly contributed a third of a billion dollars to Toronto's economy. And the 40th anniversary edition of TIFF shot in the range of $190 million into our economy as well. This year, my alma mater, the University of Toronto, became the first Canadian university to break the ceiling of top 20 in the world among 800 global universities. And the Toronto Public Library opened its 100th branch and saw its busiest year since 2005. Now, weren't books supposed to be obsolete by now? Well, I guess not in the face of the library's relentless innovation. Now, this past summer, Toronto hosted the pan Parapan Am Games, was almost twice the size of the Vancouver Winter Olympics. Canadian athletes won 385 medals, 100 more than any games before. The games also helped the growing trend of our region in smashing tourism records. Now no wonder people are flocking to live and work here. Toronto now draws more new Canadians than any other part of the country. It shouldn't come as a surprise, but it just might that 51% of Torontonians were born outside of Canada. And one-third of Torontonians came here in the last 25 years. Now, that's all great news, and there's more in the report that I urge you to read. But there's another Toronto that vital signs captures. A Toronto growing underfoot, that we tend not to notice. A Toronto that makes it hard to say, we are one place, one piece And in it together. Toronto is now home to the largest and fastest growing percentage of Canada's working poor. Nearly all of them toil in the service of people in the knowledge sector. In other words, in the service of us. Close to 10% of the 2.9 million people working in the GTA, that's over a quarter million men and women, more than the entire population of Kitchener, are working for poverty level wages. What's that number? Well, it's about $21,000 for a single person, or $41,600 for a family of four. Now, that revelation comes from a Metcalf Foundation report on the state of inequality in Canada, written by James Stapleton. He also asked this interesting question. What is the difference between the working poor in Toronto's downtown core and the working poor in Downton Abbey? Well, the answer, the working poor in Downton Abbey, well, they can afford to live there. Now, Vital Signs has called out this trend more loudly every year as the gap between rich and poor keeps stretching like an elastic band. Call it what you will, income inequality, an inconvenient truth, a gated city. If we continue to view our problems as small annoyances, we put our home, our children and theirs at risk. In virtually every category, Vital Signs analyzes, from the poverty of opportunity for young people to the persistent carding of young black men, to the daunting amounts needed to upgrade our transit infrastructure, we see our city on the verge of drifting apart. The consequences of this slow, steady drift are dire. As Abraham Lincoln once said, a house divided against itself cannot stand. So the time has come for us to transcend those divisions and move forward together. The only thing that will put us back together is by thinking of ourselves as one place. Up until 1998, we were six different cities. We wear the bare threads of that pre-amalgamation, thinking very much today. Yes, we are 140 different neighbourhoods and proud of them all. But we have to start thinking of ourselves as one place, one piece, and in it together. And by one place, I mean a single unified whole, and a place ruled by a sense of peace and civility. We can no longer afford to devise halfway solutions to full time problems. One place requires more of us, especially us here today. It demands a totally new way of thinking, working, and living together. We need to ask ourselves the big awkward questions, like do we exist for the economy or does the economy exist for us? And who is us? Now I'm all for financial capital, makes the world go around, but social capital, trust and that sense of belonging, well that's what holds it together. And on the social capital side, that's where we're letting down our most vulnerable citizens. The division between rich and poor is out in the open, now that the middle class has all but disappeared from so many of our neighbourhoods. In 1990, 68% of the city census tracts were dominated by middle-income earners. In 2012, that had fallen to 32%, and the decline continues. Now, many people in this room are quietly thrilled that Toronto is one of the hottest housing markets in the world. But there are millions of people who can't afford to pay the million-dollar-plus average cost for a detached home in our city. So they should rent, right? Not so fast. Toronto is also one of the most expensive places to rent in the world. Indeed, we're now the 13th most unaffordable city amongst 86 global cities with a population of a million people or more. Now, true, the sticker price of a house outside the core can be less. But if you factor in commuting costs, commuting time, there's not much benefit in terms of money and sanity in moving to the suburbs. I mean, right now, Toronto has the longest round-trip commute, that's 66 minutes, of any city in North America after New York. But there are also wider social consequences from our eternal traffic jam. A man called into a radio show I was co-hosting a while ago and he told me that he has a 90-minute-plus commute every day. He says, I get home after 7 o'clock, but I can deal with the traffic jam. So the problem is, though, when I get home, it's too late to take my son to his hockey practice. So my kid doesn't play hockey anymore. Those are ugly, unintended consequences. Now imagine if you're one of the quarter million employed Torontonians, or the 51.9%, yes, the majority, of Toronto workers who are precariously employed. That is to say, they either work freelance, on contract or part-time, or full-time, with no benefits. Having little to no permanent income protection, let me ask, if things go sideways for you, if that contract doesn't come through or you're laid off, where will you live? Well, one option is to move back home. But that's not always realistic. And another increasingly popular choice has been until now, an unthinkable option. I speak, of course, of assisted housing. Today, about 180,000 people live in 97,000 social housing units in the city. The Toronto Community Housing Corporation provides over 60% of our social housing stock. TCHC, by the way, is the second largest social housing provider in North America. But here's the problem. Close to 80,000 Toronto families are still waiting for affordable housing. 80,000. They're eligible, but there's no room at the inn. So how quickly is the city building new affordable rental housing? Well, last year, just 260 units were built. The same as in 2013, and a drop of 77% over the past three years. Worse, in just eight years from now, it's predicted that over 90% of their properties will be in poor or critical condition or even condemned. The tenants, they're in just as bad shape. More than three-quarters of families living in TCHC rental housing have a household income of less than $20,000 a year. In other words, they're below the poverty line. So, that the Keynesian vision of deciding whether to pay your rent or feed the kids becomes a daily reality. Given this, it's inevitable that visits to food banks would rise each year. In fact, for the sixth year in a row, GTA food banks have seen over one million visits. Yes, the use of food banks has fallen in the downtown core over the past half decade but it's risen in the suburbs by a whopping 45%. The gentrification of our downtown has pushed poor families with kids to Scarborough, North York, and Etobicoke. Now, I use the example of housing prices and food bank use to make a larger point. Over the years, we've seen a disturbing number of trends that have grown slowly from small problems to seemingly insurmountable ones. To make matters worse, these problems are all connected, sometimes in indirect and quite surprising ways. But it's their very connection that makes them so hard to break. Vital signs reported in depth this year on old age and loneliness and bad health. There's extensive evidence to show that your net worth and education account for 50% of your health. When we compare the richest Torontonians to the poorest, it turns out that poor men are 50% more likely to die before the age of 75. Poor women are 85% more likely to have diabetes. It's also worth noting that Toronto's suicide rate is now four times as high as its murder rate. And at age 80, the suicide rate for men is four times that for women. Now, one reason could be that they live alone. In fact, 44% of all seniors over the age of 85 live alone. Even more worrisome is that one in five of us over the age of 55 lives alone too. But what if everyone living in Toronto had roughly the same income and health status? Well, there would be 62,000 fewer diabetics for one. That's 8,000 more people and will fill the Rogers Center for a Blue Jays World Series game this year. Now just think, of the hundreds of thousands of hospital visits and billions of health care dollars that would save. For every major health calamity, the correlation between income and longevity is direct and fatally clear. Okay, point made. Bubbling underneath the gleam of our buildings and the frenzy of our renown, is a second city, whose problems are deep, gnarled together, and are growing worse. So, at this point, you may feel as Toronto has just been sent to the principal's office. That was my intent. I want this year's vital signs to jolt us out of our complacency. I don't believe for a second that our city is doomed. But the risk that Toronto could become, like the growing number of other rich, poor cities, is definitely increasing. I mean, who wants to live in a city that's a gated community without walls? Or where the gap between luxury and misery is tearing up the social contract? Or where our recessive niceness is trumped by loud entitlement on the one hand and perpetual grievance on the other? Not me, and I bet not you. In fact, more than any other city in the world, I believe Toronto has an opportunity to sustain the things that are making it great and to contain the things that threaten to break it in two. We've had the opportunity before, but it has been squandered by jurisdictional disputes, wobbly leadership, and creaking funding mechanisms. The natural question is, is how can we fix this? But rather than asking just that, why don't we start by asking ourselves a different question? And that is, what do we want our city to be? Do we want Toronto to be one of the world's most livable cities? Well, it already is, and almost by accident. This prompts another question. If we kind of fell into being one of the world's great cities, just think what we could do if we actually worked together to ensure that it remains so. Not just for our kids, but for the half million more Torontonians who are projected to flock here by the year 2031. This is not so impossible as it seems. You see, we're pretty good at doing big. We do skyscrapers, CN Tower, Pearson Airport. But why don't we try our hand at doing grand? But let's do it in a different way. Grand isn't just big times two. It's a different way of creating, living and working in one city that has one piece. And frankly, I don't know if there's another city anywhere that has the potential Toronto has to do this or the reason to. Because as you heard me said earlier, now more than ever, the world needs Toronto to succeed. So how are we going to do that? How are we going to transform ourselves from a city that's fraying around the edges into a unified singular metropolis. We need to become one place, and we need to achieve one peace. And by peace, I mean the peace of mind we have when we know we can make a good life for our family, where our older citizens can age with dignity, and where youth can feel optimistic about their future. So here are a half dozen actions I believe we can take as a city, and as its citizens, Some come directly out of this year's report. Others I've been speaking of from this podium for years. And others are from other people in other cities. First of all, we need to give up the old wars. They're irrelevant today and only work to keep us apart. It's easy to forget that 17 years ago, Toronto wasn't one city, but six. Then came amalgamation. Metropolitan Toronto became the city of Toronto. Amalgamation worked in some respects, but because it was a forced marriage of sorts, all these years later, our city still breaks down according to the fault lines of its six merged municipalities. Take the 1.7-kilometer eastern section of the Gardner Expressway. Pretty much everyone downtown in the old city of Toronto wanted to tear it down. Pretty much everyone elsewhere in North York, Etobicoke, York, East York and Scarborough wanted to keep it. And we see the same divide on the issue of the Scarborough subway versus LRT debate. But those days are done. It's time to move on, not only because we must, but for a reason so few cities anywhere enjoy. Because we can. Secondly, we need to create our own kind of grand gestures. It's clear now that just a fortnight after deciding not to bid bid for the 2024 Olympics, that deciding not to compete didn't actually make us a global also-ran. Although I supported the bid, I believe it didn't bronze our gold medal city by choosing not to take part. Rather, it's already spawned all kinds of other ways that we can make our mark on the world and show them how a global city can function. Owen show Torontonians how great we really are at doing a different kind of grand. Now, we did this just three months ago. The Pan, Parapan, Am Games exemplified everything we want in our city. Cooperation amongst different jurisdictions. Huge citizen participation with 23,000 volunteers. A reasonable and well-managed budget and a boost in economic benefits to the region. And now that they've come and gone, Toronto can continue to build on their legacies. And those legacies don't all have to be sport facilities. They can be social legacies as well. And here's one example I've spoken of before. An initiative called Playing for Keeps. It builds healthier, active, and better connected communities through play. This foundation-led initiative became a Pan Am legacy, through which an astounding 35,000 Torontonians have participated in neighbourhood games using the spirit of friendly play to build and often rebuild the social capital of over 80 neighbourhoods across Toronto. So the Pan, Parapan and Games can remind us that reaching for big goals is, in itself, a unifying act. That's why I was very much in favour of the Games. But flexing our muscles with global events brings another kind of benefit. It reminds us of what we stand for and reminds us of our place in the world. Sometimes we compete to win them and don't. It doesn't matter. Way back in 2009, when we won the bid for the 2015 pan Parapan Am Games, no one paid much attention. Six years later, millions of dollars of economic benefits and sport and community legacies were ours and not some other city. Precisely because we reached out to be better. When TIF began forty years ago, its founders never thought they were building one of the largest film festivals in the world. When Caravana started in nineteen sixty seven, it wasn't North America's largest street festival. But this summer it brought over one million people to the city and over four hundred million dollars to the provinces to the economy. So let's be truly innovative. Let's take the economic benefits that come from not launching an Olympic bid and let's seriously commit to investing in different ways to secure our city's future and our reputation. Now all this talk of investment leads me to a third action Toronto must take. We need to find sustainable new revenue sources. Relying on property taxes alone to fund the billions of dollars for new transit solutions will barely make a dent in our existing traffic chaos and the resulting clogging of our economy's arteries. Civic governments in the U.S. and Europe have all found new ways to fund the renewal of their transportation systems using municipal sales taxes, income taxes, transit taxes, user-pay schemes like toll roads. But nobody wants to pay these, of course. But any funding answer that doesn't involve more funds is simply cutting an ever-smaller pie with more knives. Our taxation system is also victim of the values of entrenched disunity we've allowed to grow from our past. The way our three levels of government work enshrines into law the reality that 92 cents of every tax dollar generated by the people and institutions of Toronto, that's you, me, us, leaves the city and goes elsewhere, and occasionally comes back. Now, grand events and fairer funding can go part way to bringing back our city in sync with itself. But what about restoring trust? The trust that inevitably unravels when social inequality and unfairness are the rule as they're becoming in Toronto. What does it cost to restore trust, and how do you do it? There are all kinds of long-range responses. More jobs and more secure jobs. Stronger communities, healthier families, greater opportunity. But if ever there was something Toronto could do at absolutely no cost and at the stroke of a pen to restore trust in the city, it's this and it's my fourth recommendation. Abolish the process of carding by the police. (laughs) Carding. Carding erodes trust in the very people we want to be building trust in, young, diverse men and newcomers to our country. In fact, Carding not only conspires against the ideal of creating one city and one peace; it's a daily denial of our existing reality. I was struck by Viola Davis's extraordinary acceptance speech last month when she became the first African-American woman to win an Emmy for Best Actress in a Drama Series. Davis said, the only thing that separates women of colour from everyone else is opportunity. Now, many of you work with the the opportunity cost every day, but here's one that can be measured in Toronto's ability to come together to be one place and one piece. And the good news is, the process of doing away with carding has begun. This summer, five former mayors of Toronto wrote the new mayor, imploring him to put an end to carding. And the province cut in half its annual funding of Toronto Police's Anti-Violence Intervention Strategy, a clear signal that over-intervention has had its day. Now, the idea of one place and one piece has a visual and geographic importance as well. Every great city has great public places. Central Park, Luxembourg Garden, Red Square, Toronto, Nathan Phillips Square, Dundas Square, High Park. Not bad, but. And this is my fifth recommendation for bringing our city back in in sync with itself. And that is that place matters. And no place matters more than public spaces. We need more public spaces. And especially outside the core, because making it easy for people to come together gives a physical and communal reality to the idea of one place and one piece. Now, Toronto has plenty of public space. What we lack is the will to transform it into public spaces. What if we were to unlock and open up our 100 plus kilometers of public ravines, make them more accessible to everyone? Never happened? It's already started. One of the great legacies of the pan Parapan Am Games is the Pan Am Path. 80 kilometres long, the Pan Am Path is a multi-use trail that will one day link routes from Brampton to Pickering. And during the Games this summer, well, it's one thing to kick off a cultural initiative during an international sporting event, but the numbers created by the Pan Am Path Art Relay are astounding by any measure. From May through August, along the 80-kilometer path, running through dozens of Toronto neighborhoods, it's curated 14 local festivals, involving over 100 community organizations with 84 dance and music performances, four permanent and semi-permanent works of art, and two new permanent art galleries. The Toronto Foundation is the Pan Am Pass legacy partner which means we're supplementing the great work of the friends of the Pan Am Path and the City of Toronto's contribution, among others, with at least a million dollars over the next 10 years to make sure this summer's Pan Am Path programming has a stable funding base so the path can become one of Toronto's great outdoor spaces. So it can be done, and it is, just not nearly enough. So knitting our city together... Reuniting its drifting parts. Building bridges between the rich and the poor. This takes three things everyone in this room has plenty of. Willpower, focus, and hard work. And this brings me to my sixth and final prescription for making Toronto one place and one piece. And that is we need to think about our city. And no, I mean really think about it. One of Toronto Foundation's most supportive friends, Fran Deacon, is here with us today. In fact, it was her husband, Fraser, who helped establish the Toronto Foundation. What Fran's pastor once told her is something we all need to hear. He said, Rosedale should cross the street think of what would happen if all of us no matter where we live did just that what if we went for a walk and thought about our city for an absolute hour a week that's a walk from here in the convention center up to mars and back easy peasy and as you walk through your city think about what you can do to make your city whole again or better yet what's that idea that's been rattling around in your head that can improve your block and your neighborhood. Now, last year I called out an Etobicoke woman who invited largely immigrant families from the other side of her ravine over in the wintertime to show them how to make snowmen. She wasn't trying to change the world. She was just trying to improve her little corner of it. I mentioned neighborhood games earlier. That started when one person thought, hmm, Olympic games? Pan Am games, neighborhood games, what if we, and here we are, 950 neighborhood games later and 35,000 Torontonians participating. Now part of what makes a great city is great philanthropists, women and and men of means, who decide that a big part of their and their family's legacy is the place they call home. Toronto is lucky to have a lot of these deeply committed people. But philanthropy isn't the exclusive neighborhood of the very rich. A philanthropist is someone who has an altruistic concern for human welfare and advancement, usually manifested by donations of money. You don't have to be rich to do that. You just need to start a conversation around the table with your own family. How can we help our block, our neighbors, our neighborhood, The answer to that question is how we can build a better city and how that city can build a better world. But if we're to overcome the opportunity deficit that this year's vital signs warns of for our city, if Toronto is to become the city that's so so tantalizingly close to becoming, if we can create a place where young people are truly optimistic about their future, then we will build a city the likes of which the world hasn't seen and desperately, desperately needs. So starting tonight, to talk about what you and yours are going to do to create the city that you dream of living in, well, it won't be a family dinner too soon. Again, you do not need to change the world. But if we can all start to change our small corners of it, then great, big, and even grand things can happen. Don't wait for the perfect opportunity to come along. Don't fret if you're trying something and it doesn't work perfectly or yet, but do act and do act now. Because as that budding Canadian philosopher and political pundit Wayne Gretzky said, (laughs) you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. Thank you very much for your time today. Uh, yeah,
0: now I'd like to call on Janet Pettergrew from BMO Private Banking to uh, thank our speaker.
2: Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome. So I'd like to thank Raul for uh, walking us through the results of the Toronto Vital Signs report for 2015. It was such an informative uh, overview, helping us understand the key learnings regarding quality of life in our city. And we've got lots of success here to be so proud of, but there's also so many areas of opportunity that we can all do our part to, uh, to improve upon. So at BMO, we've been focused actually on a one-bank culture. So the lingo within BMO is one bank. So it was interesting for me to see the one place and one piece. And uh, I can certainly understand and relate to the big dream and what you're trying to accomplish. And it is everybody doing their part. So, so thank you for that. So I just want to take a moment uh, to give Raul another round of applause for a, a great presentation. <laughs> So for many years, BMO Private Banking actually supported the Toronto Foundation and its ability to produce uh, this important research for our city. And uh, what's been interesting is year over year, we've seen such uh, a growth, I guess, in the number of participants for this type of event. We used to host it actually at First Canadian Place, and we just ran out of room on the 68th floor. So it's such a, a proud moment to see almost 400 people here today. And at uh, BMO Private Banking, you know what, we we understand how important it is to be connected to the community where we serve, and uh, the research provided by Vital Science is important information, not only when it comes to how we work as a business in this country, but how we can support the success and future of our clients when it comes to meeting their needs, the needs of all of our our goals as uh, members of our community. Investing is a large part of our business as well and as a bank we also understand the importance of investing in our community. We, make it, we try to do our part to make it a good place to work, to live and, and to raise our families. So I just uh, want to tell you that uh, on behalf of my team who are here today, we're all, all very proud to, um, to be working with the Toronto Foundation to sponsor this luncheon. and. Um, We're trying to do our part as well to give support guidance and advice to our clients and and certainly helping increase the awareness and how important it is for all of us to be good community members. So I hope you really enjoyed hearing the research today as much as I did. I I really value the research and and, um, the encouragement that you give us to all do our part to to live this one-place, one-piece vision. So thank you for joining us this afternoon, and uh, hope you have a good rest of your day. So thank you very much.
0: Thank you, Janet. Thank you, Janet. I would like to echo her thanks and remarks uh, to Rahul. And one of the things that uh, makes me feel good about the time spent today is that uh, in spite of the the challenges, and and all those factors that are pulling us apart, Rahul, that you clearly articulated and described to us, one of the things that does does give us hope is that we have the the leadership and the ideas of people like you. Thank you very much uh, from behalf of all of us in Toronto. And and one other thing, actually, that I want to thank you for, which is as a failed hockey player that had to become a lawyer... I'm glad, in addition to all of the other really important things you're looking at, is to ensure that parents get home in time to take their kids to hockey practice. Because what I look forward to in the future is another very important metric that will measure and reflect the well-being of Torontonians, which is a lot more great hockey players and a lot less lawyers. (laughs) So thank you again. As a lawyer, I can say that. Thank you again. Thank you again to Bebo Private Banking for helping uh, make today's uh, luncheon possible. And before we close, I'd like to draw your attention to the event survey on your table. Uh, the Canadian Club is always looking for ways to improve its experience. So take a few minutes to fill this out and we appreciate your feedback. That does conclude our program for today, which will be broadcast on Rogers TV in the days to come. We'd like to thank MediaEvents.ca, Canada's online event space, and VVC for live streaming of today's event. We're also grateful to Rogers TV and 680 News for their continuing promotion of Canadian Club events. And again, please visit us at www.torontocanadianclub.org. Thank you again for joining us. Thank you for your attention. This meeting is now adjourned. Good afternoon.